And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest podcasters found themselves united to have the conversations you always wanted to have about the films you love. With great power comes great responsibility. I just finally know what I have to do. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Avengers! Welcome to the Cult Classic Comics Show. Welcome, everyone, to the Cult Classic Comics Show. Uh, I'm Carmelo Camara. This is Emily Hunter. My name is Omi Gonzalez. And I am Jason Chawala. And we will be your hosts for the uh, duration of this show. So uh, if you listen to our intro episode, you know that we're going to do this in seasons. And our first season is all about the bat. And so we're kicking it off with Batman 1989. Um, uh, before I do the synopsis, anyone, let's go around and do our first impressions. Emily, what's Batman 89? Tell me, love it, hate it. What are you feeling? I like it. I like Tim Burton movies. Um, I like that kind of gothy, macabre, dark atmosphere that he creates. Um, and this is a Batman I grew up with. Um, I, this isn't my favorite Batman movie, but I like the whole atmosphere. I like how he was a badass and uh, he he didn't care. It like I feel like the newer movies, you have a, a Batman that's a little bit more, has more of a conscience. <laughs> and this one, he just didn't care. So it, I, I liked this one. Yeah, I think uh, this Batman is like, this whole Batman thing is like he's mentally ill. I think that's like what Tim Burton got right about Batman is there's like a theme of mental illness in these movies. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, I, what I remember more than anything else is the long ass lines. This was like pre-internet, right? So like, I remember that she had to go to the movie theater, get in this line and watch this thing that she didn't even know anything about, right? It just had the Batman signia on it and blew your mind away. Like that was so dope. Like that was the first intro to Batman um, besides the comic books that showed me like, this could be my dreams on screen. This is pretty fresh. Yeah. And Omi, I think is, is Omi's about just so you guys know, he's about 121 years old. So he was there for 89 when it came out. Uh, He was there in 1939 when detective comics came out as well. So he's, you know, he's got a unique perspective. He's gotten to see Batman, you know, over the, the, the century. Grew up with him. He was there for the Spanish flu. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This is my second pandemic. (laughs) Jason, what do you think? What's the verdict on Batman 89? Um, I really enjoyed it. Look, you know, I've watched it several times over the years at different points in my life. You know, I watched it when I was a kid when I didn't really have an appreciation for the aesthetic. And then I watched it again in my like teens where I appreciate the aesthetic a little bit more, the 80s aesthetic and like just the kind of uh, dark uh, David Bowie-esque like Batman that we have here. And then I and then for the podcast, I watched it again last week and um, it holds up well. It's it's it has its cart it, you know it has its cartoony charm to it, but at the same time, this is a very very serious movie. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I think like, as we'll get into it, when we talk about this, like the history of this movie, that was sort of the hallmark of this whole thing was they're coming off of Adam West and Burt Ward, right? That's what most people know Batman as at this point when this movie comes out. So um, I think that's a really good point. And I think we're going to talk about that a lot. Uh, so I guess now's a good time. I'll just jump in with the synopsis real quick for those of you the, the two people in the audience who haven't seen this movie, because I got to feel like this is not an obscure one. Just a quick rundown of Batman, the movie. Uh, in this one, the movie starts and he's already Batman. Uh, we'll learn later through flashbacks about, you know, the parents being killed in the alley. Uh, but in this, you know, Gotham's full of corruption. It's a dirty place. And a crime boss named Carl Grissom sort of runs the show. He's using this chemical plant as his cover. And uh, Batman... Uh, and the police, you know, try to raid this chemical plant. And that's when Jack Napier, Jack Nicholson, falls into a vat of acid and becomes the Joker. Uh, so while Batman starts his romance with reporter Vicki Vale, the Joker starts his reign of terror in Gotham. And uh, then Batman realizes that uh, the Joker is the man who killed his parents. And uh, it all leads to a pretty spectacular conclusion as they have a, a giant fight in a, a parade downtown. And, uh, and even up into like this Gothic bell tower before Batman, uh, well, he doesn't throw the Joker off the edge, but that's more or less what happens. And the Joker plummets to his death. Batman gets the girl cue the bat signal. Awesome. Soundtrack roll credits. Mm-hmm. Think about, about, about sums it up. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's about as good as, I mean, that's about as good as a uh, synopsis as we can get. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. I believe if I'm not mistaken, this is based off of the story arc, the red hood, right? Well, yeah, the, I see what you mean. Uh, not, stories, it's, it's yeah, like the, the, the killing joke. Yeah, yeah. The killing joke storyline is the first time anyone ever did Batman's origin. And uh, that's where you get that whole like vat of chemicals thing comes from uh, from that. But I'm not sure. Does anyone can anyone tell me quick or we look it up what came out first, this movie or Killing Joke? I'm not really. Uh, killing Joke came out before Batman a year earlier. So, yeah, yeah it was a big influence. Got it. So, Dark Knight. Dark Knight came out like 86. Got so, it. Yeah. 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 And uh, Dark Knight's interesting that you mentioned that because um, that was the only Batman story Michael Keaton had ever read before this movie. That was all he did for prep was was uh, was read Dark Knight Returns. Um, so um, we've come to the end of the show that I had planned. So now it's all freestyle. So now if there's awkward silences, it's on it's on all of us to to entertain and thrill, thrill the audience. Um, but I have plenty of facts about this movie. I could spit yeah. off if, uh, if you guys want some, uh, some cannon fodder. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of facts here in front of me too. I mean, <laughs> probably I all the same facts. Well, as the dude that was actually there, right? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a, you know, uh, weird story, you know, Brooklyn, New York, like growing up, my sisters and my mom definitely used comic books as a way to keep me safe. So I was that nerd. It was definitely drawing, going on, you know, to the supermarket and getting whatever comics they had there. I gravitated towards DC over Marvel because Marvel used to have the asterisks. Remember those? Where like it was like tune into this one that you know you didn't buy to read and remember what this conversation is about. And I was right. like, dude, I only got five dollars. So I, I always gravitated towards DC because it was like a a, a story. So. You know, my, my mom and my sisters really encouraged this shit. And when Batman came out, it was like a big hoopla in my house. Because yeah. it was it was like pre-internet, right? Like, it was like you had to cut out the images from the newspaper of, like, can't believe Mr. Mom is Batman. Right. You know, like, I, I, I'm, I'm all about that life, right? 
So I like putting it out there and I, you know, you, you, you call the movie theater, right? And they would like come on through. There wasn't tickets or an amount of tickets. They just line you up like a herd, fit like a hundred in and then pull them out and then fit another hundred in, watch it again. Um, so it was a late night, but you left like, what the heck did I just see? Like, this is so dope. And I think I was like, what, 11 when it came out? So when it finally popped up, I had no idea what I saw, like nothing. I'm just buying the toys. I'm going crazy with the stuff. And like, as I got older, I realized like this was some demented ass shit. Like they are some crazy yeah. motherfuckers out there in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just so happens that I gravitate towards Batman for the rest of my life. So that was the first impression is that's how it is. I, you know, now we have all the facts and things, but that wasn't then, right? Like I had to yeah. hear it from word of mouth. Me and my friends trading, you know, baseball cards with Batman's images on it with the really shitty bubble gum that was on the backside of it. Like that's how we. Yeah, I heard that it. stuff is a is a biohazard. Actually, any you're supposed to hand it over to the government if you find any of that bubble gum. Those are, those sticks of gum are like guaranteed dentures. Like if you're gonna you're gonna chip, you're gonna you're gonna chip a tooth and you're gonna like need a partial. <laughs> You never lie. You never lie, man. That's honest truth. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned how it was like pre-internet, and and so the trailer of this movie was like a really big deal because you couldn't just like YouTube that shit. So people were lining up at the movie theater to watch the trailer. They'd call the theaters and say like, "When's the Batman trailer playing?" They'd come in, they'd pay to watch a movie, watch this trailer, and then leave. Like you had to bootleg this trailer at Comic Cons. You could they were selling like VHS tapes. Uh, for 25 bucks so you can watch the Batman trailer because you just couldn't get it. Now the Dr. Strange trailer pops up every time I turn on my phone, just like phones like, Oh, you haven't watched this yet today. You want to see it again? Uh. I know for me, I didn't get to see it in the theater. I was probably too young. I mean, I was raised on horror movies, but I, for some reason we just never went to go see it. And I didn't, I'd seen parts of it, but I don't remember seeing the whole thing again until I literally rewatched it for this. No. <laughs> so it is demented. Like you mentioned, Omi, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was like, wow, we're really walking a fine line with uh, some mental illness um, in, in the way that Tim Burton portrayed it. So I thought it was good. I didn't, I just can't, I, I didn't have any of that experience um, with the movie theaters being packed. So I missed out on that. Yeah, sometimes the mental illness stuff's not so fine a line in this movie either. Sometimes it's just straight up, True. you know. Uh, especially, I was, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so much like Emily, I was, um, I was four years old when this movie came out. And my parents weren't going to take me to see this. I remember seeing it for the first time. It was on VHS tape. Uh, we rented it. We rented it from this store called Farmore. I don't know if you guys remember Farmore. No, Farmore. That's new to me. Farmore, yeah. There was a. They were around the Chicagoland area, so it was a. Uh, it was a grocery store slash pharmacy, and then they had a video store in the back, and then you could rent movies for a buck. So, the first time I saw first time I saw Batman was around the time Batman Two Batman Returns came out, and um, you know just wanted to see the first one before seeing the second one. But um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get that um, that genuine like movie theater experience and the magic, you know, all attached to it as well. Which um, I mean, you know, you you get that later with with other movies, and then that's just the caveat of of being four years old when when such an iconic movie comes out. Right. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I've I've watched this movie, but I didn't see it 
until about three years ago when I finally bought it on Blu-ray. Because even though we had this like on VHS and I burned a hole through it as like a kid, it was, you know, it was no, there was nothing else, right? It was, it was Superman 77 or this. And we didn't have, you know, all the, now there's this, you can throw a dart at the, the movie theater and you're hitting a comic book movie. But yeah. this movie was, this is all we had. So my brother and I watched this and Batman Returns until we wore the tape out. But the movie was so fucking dark. And the quality is so fucking shit on VCRs that I, when I finally bought it on Blu-ray and watched it in high def, I it was like half the movie I'd never seen before. I, I, I couldn't believe the, the texture of Gotham City is so dark and it looks great in high def, but I cannot imagine, you know, I hope it looked better in theaters than it did on, v, uh, on my VHS. I'm theater. sure it did. I mean, that, that's funny. It's like, it's like three years ago you realized that the villain was Joker and not Scarecrow. Yeah, so, oh, right. I thought, exactly. scare- I thought it was a scarecrow the whole time. I thought it was Bane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is like the this is the hit, right? Because like in '86, like I said, we had Dark Knight. In '88, I think Robin died, or a little bit after, right? Like Jason Todd passed away. Um, then passed away. In- yeah, he he passed away passed- from a crowbar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, got, <laughs> he got he got hit. He got hit a lot. You know? a, yeah, nice. What a, what a gruesome book. Right. Yeah. Um, but then we also had Arkham Arkham Asylum that also changed the game by Grant Morrison come out in 89. Really? Like that the was same. 80s. I thought that was later. Yeah. So it's like the mental health took like I think what we were picking up now as adults. Right. Like no. some of the writers back then that were our age were picking up and really ran with it. Because when I read Arkham Horror, like as I was older, I realized Batman is always really the villain. Like he's the asshole. Like all right. you you should be rooting for the villains at all times in the Batman like Groves Gallery because he's the one dude that is like he's sick. Like yeah, Doctor Freeze only wants to save his wife. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Penguin is trying to deal with this underground ecosystem to make sure everyone's eating. You know, Catwoman is barely hand to mouth. Like uh, you know, like all these people have these sob stories, and here's this dick. With this little kid right behind him with a yellow suit saying, go first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there it is. And you see this dark version of it. So it really propelled, you know, I always think about it more like chronological order, right? Like at, in the 60s, we had the Kapow because Batman just came out and he was tripping balls and he was doing a lot of LC, like LSD. So like all he saw was pow and all that other the, shit. The Batman of Zurinar. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it matched it matched the aesthetic of the time, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then, the like, set- if you watched a lot of those shows or sitcoms from the '60s and the early '70s, they were all very colorful and cartoony. They're all the same, pretty much. Yeah. Well, you had to because color just came out, right? So you had to pop. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're just obsessed with showing color on television. I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Now so I think of that. the '60s as the psychedelic time, but the, so what does it say about the '80s that this movie was meant yeah, to look so like, like the '80s? That was it. '80s was grunge, man. Like even like kids, like you know, if I, it was pre hip hop or like it was the birth of hip hop, right? So even now, how we see pop music didn't exist. So it was really like alternative music was popping off. Like it was yeah. all that grunge stuff. If you didn't have bangs in your hair, like you were you were a scrub. Like you know, even me in the hood, straight up, like hip hop was just taking off. But you better believe we rode, we rocked uh, like Batman medallions, where people were rocking the Africa stuff. We had the Batman medallions, like acting hard. So <laughs> you, you saw it progress. And then once that mental health is like, I felt like everyone caught their stride. Like this is Batman. This is this is what Bruce is. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Emily mentioned the mental health aspect because I used to joke that Batman's superpower in this is that he's crazy. 
Like, this is the least physical of any of the Batmans, right? Like, he can barely move. He has to do that, like, bat turn, which looks awesome, but is, is super not practical. But, like, but then he'll, like, punch somebody in the face, and they go fucking down. And that's the power of crazy right there. <laughs> I, I think Tim Burton didn't read that whole Batman don't kill part, though. That's for sure. Like, no, you just left that. No, out. you don't give a shit about that. So we were talking about like how dark it is. Did you guys notice how the Vicky Vale character was always like in really light colors, like throughout the entire thing, except for when she went like super stocky and creepy and was like stalking him. She was in all black. Like I was wondering if that was like any play. I'm not, I haven't read like a whole lot of the Batmans. I've done the long Halloween and I have Batman versus predator of, of nice. course. Um, but I didn't know if that was like a contrast that Burton wanted to do like for any particular reason, like the dark Knight, dark Avenger. I don't know. I just picked up on that. Everything she was wearing was white. When, when you, um, when you look at Burton's work, he's an absolute like maniac for, for visuals and like things, things for the audience to pick up on. Um, later on, when we talk about Batman returns, there's a lot of scenes that with, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, where if you look at the shadows behind her, there's always like cat ears in some direction that hint off that she's going to become Catwoman later. So he's really deep. In, he, Tim Burton is really known for just these little nuances that you'll find in 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 the scenes, and he wants he wants the audience to pick up on it after you know after several um, viewings of it. Yeah, I think you're on to something, Emily, because I think Jason's right about Tim Burton's attention to detail, but also he's got a huge attention to positive and negative space. Black and white are like the, the dominant colors in any Tim Burton movie, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, so it makes perfect It's funny you should say that because I didn't think about that, but but it works perfectly if Batman's the black and, and uh, Vicky Vale's the white. That sort of fits in with what we know about Tim Burton. And this is like... Prob- as for stylized as this is, this is probably like the least stylized Tim Burton movie. Like if you watch, yeah. you know, like Willy Wonka or some shit or Sweeney Todd or whatever later, like it's just off the hook. But this movie, you know, it's still there. It's just maybe, you know, a little bit less, uh, a little bit less in your face than his normal work. Yeah. I mean, my man was coming off Beetlejuice, right? That's like, right. That was, mm-hmm. that was a huge hit back in 88 with Michael Keaton too. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's funny you mention that because uh, one of the things that they just, so I didn't rewatch the movie. I've seen it so many times. I watched all the like features I could get my hands on. And one of the themes was that like everybody who worked on this movie was unqualified for this movie, but because no one was qualified for this movie. This is like the biggest fucking movie of all time up to that point. So there was nobody for it. And with Tim Burton, he, like, he got the job, but like not full steam ahead till after Beetlejuice came out because everyone wanted to see how it did. So everyone's like, yeah, Tim Burton, you're hired. Uh, we're just going to wait just like a few months though, for no particular reason, just to see how it goes. Uh, yeah. He wasn't even, yeah, he wasn't the first choice. The first choice was the director of gremlins. And I think the director of Go- ghostbusters. Oh, right. Who, by the way, just passed away. Um, yeah. And yeah, Tim Burton wasn't the first, like nobody was the first choice. And then like Omi talked about earlier, everyone fucking went banana sandwich when Michael Keaton was cast. Cause he was a comedy actor and that harped on everyone's fears that this was going to be a comedy. Yeah. I know and they if were. It if it wasn't to... Michael Keaton, it was supposed to be Mel Gibson. 
I know yeah. they were eyeballing uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, James Woods too. For, for Batman. Oh yeah. no! Wait, that's that's for Joker. I'm sorry, I had that written down. See, and I could see sorry, Willem Dafoe for the Joker, but like. I, I forget I like, how young he might have been back then. I mean, the Joker, I, I remember this back in the day. I don't know if it's actually true, but Robin Williams was attached to that thing. And they used him as bait. Like, yeah. so he got pissed. And he didn't do any Warner Brothers movies, like, for a grip after that. Um, and the people asked why, and they were like, oh, it's Batman. I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Like, um, but again, no internet back then, right? So... We had to like figure it out from Comic Con to Comic Con, right? Yeah, uh, and now no but, one wants to talk about that stuff because no one wants to, you know, speak ill of these sorts of things, you know, once they get smoothed over. But uh, when you listen to Jack Nicholson talk about this, it, it, and you could, it's it's almost too perfect. He would act yeah. like none of that's the case. He, you, you listen to Jack Nicholson. He's like, I knew how big Batman was going to be. I knew this was going to be the biggest movie of all time. And I loved Batman comics. And the Joker was my favorite character. And I was all aboard this movie. And it's like, yeah, Jack, I'm sure. I'm sure you were all aboard. And they didn't have to convince your ass to get on this movie. I'm sure. He did, he did more acting there than in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, like, you look at Jack Nicholson's career leading up to batman it was all he was already like an oscar winner for like one like did he win an oscar for one flew over the cuckoo's nest or yeah yeah that's right yeah so it was like and then um he was also in chinatown before that i believe so it's like he was already in these big blockbuster award-winning films and then it's like now you're gonna take this chance on this like comic book movie that we're spending 35 million dollars on which was like an astronomical amount at the time and, you know, it's like such a big risk, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you got to ask yourself, like, well, what convinced Jack Nicholson to agree to this role? I would guess so money. You know, what, yeah, if I had to. Probably, a, right? Yeah. <laughs> they paid him $34 million and then the other $1 million went to the movie. I mean, here's some deal about the comic book thing. I remember, so there's a Jim Lee story about Jim Lee's uh, contract for X-Men 1. And this is way in the future. This had nothing to do with it. But, like, Jim Lee took Marvel to the bank because he got, like, a dollar for every comic sold. And then they didn't expect it to sell like $7.3 million. Like the, my man just went off and bought his mom like a house, like did everything. And I think the same thing with Jack Nicholson yeah. was this, got the same deal that like my man from Star Wars got where he's like, I'll give you back end plus some on the merch. So he just went to bank at the end when it popped off. He's like, yo, I love that, man. When can we do it again? <laughs> Let's bring the Joker back alive. <laughs> and we're actually we will talk about that because there was an unfilmed Batman five that he would have been in. But, uh, you know, you're you're absolutely right. He made a f- fortune on like the, the merchandising and this movie, because, again, nothing quite like it up to that point. Um, th- this movie, they did not have enough product for the demand. Like products have to be ordered well in advance and then there's production time. And you really only have like a window around when the movie's released. They could not keep up with demand. Everybody wanted this shit and you couldn't find it anywhere. Well, and ironically enough, the Joker was like the best marketer ever. Like everything yeah. they had in that movie, it, like, holy shit, their jackets had the emblems, the helicopter, everything. He was perfect. He was perfect. Yeah, that was like his superpower. It was like evil marketing. Remember when like Bob the Goon was famous because he was Bob the Goon? Yeah. Like that. They made an action was. figure. That's right. And I heard he's Jack Nicholson's like like homeboy. So it was like uh, if I'm gonna be in it, my boy is gonna be in it too. And they like wrote Bob the Goon in. And I love Bob the Goon. Package deal. (laughs) 
so uh, a couple of quick fun facts about this is Ron Nicholson. So apparently as big as this fucking movie was like, they didn't have an ending when they started filming it. And you'd think like, how is that possible? But I've learned a lot recently and I'll talk more in the show about like how film finance works. And some of it is like, once you get your Jack Nicholson, you have like a window now you're going to film that movie and it's going to come out by a certain date and it puts a ton of pressure on the production. So you like have to get rolling. And so they didn't know how to end it until in the middle of it, Nicholson and one of the producers went off to watch uh, the new Phantom of the Opera that had come out like during shooting. And they saw that and they were, they got the bell tower and they were like, Oh, this is where it needs to end in like a cathedral. And they didn't have a cathedral. They had like the doors they had an empty room where they put like some pews. You might remember the pews that fall over. And then the rest is like, then they had like a box and they built stairs and then they built a bell and they just kept swapping it out. There was, that was all like one room, the whole fucking cathedral. Wow. Man. Yeah. That, that, you know, that, I think they were like telling people like, go look at this. And they would look at like this one spot and they were like, what am I looking at? And he's like, I don't know. I don't, I, it's not in the script yet. Like, just look at that. Shit, right. Right? Yeah. Just go. We'll cut something in there when we write yeah. it. Yeah. Cause there's a scene where like Batman, you know, there's a scene where uh Joker's in a helicopter screaming down at Batman. Yeah. Right. And he just turns awkwardly and looks up and you see his belt drop a little bit, by the way. Like I was like, one of my catches all the time was like, his bell drops and he looks up that apparently that scene, he wasn't looking at anything. He didn't know what he was looking at. They just chopped that shit in. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You mentioned that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in this movie because the plot, there's not much of a plot to this movie. It's mostly like Batman and the Joker in like a pissing match. And in that scene in particular, there's no like, there's no real reason Batman goes to the chemical factory at that time. Like he really could have done it sooner. It's just like, Oh, we got to wrap this up. So Batman just like drives his car into the Joker's house and blows it the fuck up. By the way, full of goons. There's just no mention at all. They're all just running everywhere while he blows the goddamn place to hell. And it's awesome. He's driving the Batmobile, but I just love it. It's just like Batman. Just like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm going to go blow his house up. You know, well, his car did that. He didn't do it. That's that's right. Batman doesn't kill people. The Batmobile. <laughs> they kills they people. they saved it from being a four hour movie. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine a four hour superhero movie? That's nuts. That would just be crazy. That's, yeah. that's so unheard of. Yeah. The, Batman. The other Batman thing. Endgame on six Blu-ray discs. <laughs> the other thing I picked up on is I don't think any of the goons and police officers could shoot. Like, did you guys see that? They'd be standing around the car and shooting, but it's like they're shooting at each other, but nobody was getting hurt. Like, yeah, the aim was worse than Everybody was shooting. I was like, has anybody taken a class? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we couldn't I, have an R rating, so they all had to be pretty bad shots. I wouldn't be surprised if that was like, you know, if, if, if maybe if there was some way we could look it up, like a studio's like decision before filming, like, hey, you're not allowed to like, show people get hit by bullets or something. Hmm, That's true. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, they had the G.I. Joe philosophy, right? We shoot, but never get anybody. Right. Like, could be, yeah. I wouldn't be, there was a lot of weird, weird, like, um, parameters and things like that with film, with films back in the 80s. Yeah. Speaking of weird parameters, uh, producer Mark Canton on this movie was sweet on Prince because he directed Purple Rain. And he was like, or produced it or something. And he was like, oh man, like we got to have Prince 
do like a song. And then it really was just like Prince just didn't stop making Batman songs. And they're like, fuck it. We'll just release the album. Then that's just sure. Why not? That shit sucked. <laughs> like, Oh, it's a great as, album. <laughs> as a Prince fan, that shit sucks. <laughs> like, no, like that shit sucks. It's not so all bad. bad. Come on. It, Talk about trying to fit something in, right? You got Danny Elfman rocking, rocking it, and He's then you're so like, good. "Go, Prince, do your thing." It's um, like one of the only superhero movies, like besides Superman, to me that I can think I can hear the theme in my head. I can't get it with any other movie that's yeah. a comic movie. Yeah, the only the only and other one sudden, like Spider Man 2002. Like as soon as I hear that one, I'm like, "Oh, that's Spider Man." Composed by. Okay, yeah. Danny Elfman. So the same, it's the same thing. You get your man, Danny Elfman, you get a memorable score. You get, you know, is that, is that true? It's very yeah. true. It's Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman did Spider-Man. Wow. Yeah. And it's, that's so funny. And it's funny you say that Emily, because on like the new Marvel movies, and I don't think they have bad scores, but they're going for like a brand, not just in each movie, they're going for like a universal brand. And so those themes are, I don't want to call them generic. I mean, the Avengers themes got its perks, but there is a certain amount of like, you can operate in this like safe zone here. And Danny Elfman yeah. definitely is well outside the, the safe it's, zone. It's broad, it's broad spectrum appeal. Yeah. yeah. And he's, yeah. so he's another one who thought he was unqualified for the movie. And, and the producers went into here, like the first couple clips and they, you know, he's got a very weird style of working and they were ready to replace him. And Burton was like, just play the, play the theme, play the theme. And the theme just cinched it though. The theme was so good. They were like, all right, fine. We'll let him, we'll let him do it. I mean, wasn't he part of that Oingo Boingo? Like, I remember listening to some of those tracks back in the day. That shit was fresh. He was part of Oingo Boingo. I will have to say something about the Marvel thing, too, and I know it's not about that, but uh, being a hip-hopper, of course, uh, you know, Black Panther changed everything. So that's the only one I heard. It was like, wow, this is like, finally they're making music for our people kind of thing. You know, like, that was really fresh. But uh, it had some themes of Avengers laid into it. Like, they were growing even the music at that time. We didn't know like when we watched Batman, we didn't hear about this like universe bullshit, right? Right. Like we yeah. love universes now, like it's our job. Um, and they're chasing universes more than they actually did one offs. Like I'm sure Tim Burton was like, I'm just making this fucking movie. Like the the multiverse universe, whatever that was, that didn't exist back well, then. They didn't even so. have the word sequel in their mouths when they filmed this fucking movie, let alone multiverse. True story. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. They did not plan on like a franchise. It was like too ambitious to dream of it because this movie alone was, it was the biggest production in the history of England where they filmed it. Like it was at the time anyway. And I mean, you're talking about like entire city streets they manufactured for this. Like this was Vicki Vale, actually, uh, Kim Basinger. She said like, when I walked on set, it wasn't a set. It was like an experience. It was like, it was like another world, you know, and, and very few movies are like that, I think. Well, they they made their money back in and they made their money back in two days. Yeah, I think they did okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the The movie made the movie made a hundred million its first week, and then like overall, like finished at like four hundred fifty or five hundred million. That's like, geez. it's it that's unheard of. Like, if you look at the economies of scale, it's like it made ten times the amount back. Movies today don't make ten times the amount back. That's yeah. that's true. You're you're right about that. Like. You know, even if you take like, you know, Avengers, like the biggest movies they make yeah. for like a quarter million dollar budgets, which by the way are obscene, like 
if a movie makes a billion with a B, it's, you know, that would be record breaking beyond your wildest dreams. And it would still only be quadruple your budget back because that's, yeah. you're just playing at that scale. Yeah. Batman made 10 times your money. That's like, un, that's like unfathomable. And it's like the movie, the movie came out literally like the same like month or a couple months of Black Monday, the stock market. You know, it was like nobody had money. Nobody had money to see movies, but everybody was going to see Batman. Yeah. They needed a hero. That's right. And he was the hero the 80s needed, but not the one it deserved or (laughs) something. A a billionaire billionaire playboy just (laughs) punching people while wearing tight leather. We're going to dissect that bullshit line when we get to that movie. (laughs) So, okay, again, I'm not like a full, I haven't read all the Batman comic books, but if, I found it kind of funny though that like Vicky Vale, she's she's like, is she a photographer or is she a journalist? Like I felt it was confusing, but I feel like everybody was supposed to know who Bruce Wayne was. And it was like, who's Bruce Wayne? I don't know what he looks like. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, she is a, she, you're right know? in the movie, she's a photojournalist, but I don't I thought in the comics, isn't she like a like a television reporter? Yeah, so she's there. She's switched over quite a bit. She's a photojournalist. She comes to work with that other dude. Um, I can't, I, I mean, it just reminds me of how many plot drops that thing had. Like, there was the writer that she came to work with. He kind of dipped. He just became the, the Knox. The comic yeah, relief. I love Knox. Yeah, Knox just became the comic relief. But, uh, you know, like, she came in and she was supposed to, she was supposed to just be the photojournalist about this Batman story. And um, before you know it, she's like, who's Bruce Wayne? And she falls in love with him and some shit like that. I sort of like the but idea like that nobody... he was this mysterious billionaire that no one saw, you know, like, <laughs> like you'd heard of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, or... but I, yeah. Do they not know? But I was just confused. I was like, I thought everybody knew who Bruce Wayne was supposed to be. So it was confusing to me. And maybe that's just because I didn't watch this movie that much because I was younger. No, I, I think you're right, like, though. What kind of investigative skills do you have? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where it's like tongue in cheek got to rely on your uh, suspension of disbelief to just kind of go with the flow. Like Superman puts on Clark Kent puts on his glasses and nobody knows who the hell he is. You know, it's like, well, I I actually think this is an intentional Tim Burton thing. I think Burton loves this idea of, of Bruce Wayne being this like reclusive, mysterious guy who lives in like his bell tower that he never comes down from. Like Batman's the Phantom of the Opera here, right? Not like the Joker. Yeah. And, and so I know I think he probably had this like romanticized version of like, Oh, if I had a billion dollars, no one would ever see me and I would never go outside in the sunlight would never touch my skin. And that is how Tim Burton talks. That is a perfect impression. I'll, I'll live and die by that, that impression of Tim Burton. Uh, since you mentioned Vale, one other fun fact for you was Kim Basinger was not actually, she was the first choice. But then they they moved away from her and they picked uh, an actress named Sean Young. And Sean Young was going to... And it's like, it's sad as shit. Because when you hear her talk about this, she's not like, oh, you know, everything was fine. It all worked out for the best. She's like, nah, my whole life changed. Because she like fell off a horse and broke her ankle or something like four days before they started shooting. They had to recast her. They cast Kim Basinger at the last minute. And yeah, Sean Young is just like, yep, I would have been in a blockbuster. I would have been a household name. My whole career would have been different. It's like, uh, that sucks. She, uh, she went hard for the Catwoman role in the second one too. And was that her? Like, that was her who did that? Yes. 
Oh. She would go out on those talk shows, those night talk shows or whatever, dressed up as Catwoman and do her interviews. She wanted that role. Oh, and my God. unfortunately, it didn't work out there either. Well, dress for the job you want, not the job that you have. <laughs> True story, man. Yeah. Man, she, listen, she had, that, you know, for me, it was like now looking back at it, because like hindsight's not 2020, it's uh, it's uh, romanticized, right? Yeah. So like now looking back at it, it was really like Tim Burton was taking the Batman character and doing a Tim Burton thing, yeah. you know, and he did a lot of chords that worked with Batman that then the writers of Batman integrated in. Cause that's like Batman's the modern day Beowulf, right? Like a series of poem and collections written by different people that we don't know that now built up to this persona that we now have rules that are Bruce Wayne. Right. Um, and he contributed to that, right? Like he contributed to quite a bit of that stuff. But when at the time, you know, killing people, like there was like the art thing that was going on. Like remember, like uh, Joker was rocking a, a a model that had like acid on half her face. Yeah, how fucked up was that? Just just for shits and giggles, the right? Girlfriend? Like just yeah. Shingles. Um. So it's like you know, Tim Burton was just doing Tim Burton stuff, and it, it seems like that's been Tim Burton's thing for quite a while, because. You know, when he worked at Disney, he was rejecting everything that Disney was trying to make him do until he, you know, did these little small cartoons that he called himself for Nightmare Before Christmas and all these other things. So I, I just think that he it was a it was it was the right place at the right time and it blew up properly. It, it, we needed it. Right. Batman was the person we needed. Um, I, I think DC's last outing before that was like the swamp thing. And if anybody's seen that movie, that was rough. Like that was a hard one. Um, yeah, I've not seen that. I'm sure we'll get to that in season 12 of the show. No, maybe. no, no. <laughs> season 13. It can't be as bad as the Toxic Avenger. Oh, that was dope. <laughs> I, be careful. I think I'm friends with Lloyd Kaufman on Facebook. I don't want him to hear that. <laughs> uh, I can't believe we're halfway through this episode and we have not talked about the elephant in the room. We mm. have not talked about the car. Oh. What was that? The Batmobile is this not the best Batmobile? I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. This is the best Batmobile. It's out. It's out. It's it's straight from a comic book. It's a toy. It's a toy come to life. Yeah, this I've never seen anything like it before or after. Hey, you know they didn't have a um, a door for it, right? Like they forgot the door. That's why they did the little the shoot in the top. Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. They forgot the door. That's I can see that because you build this like beautiful thing and uh, they built it out of like polystyrene or whatever. So like you sculpt this fucking thing to look cool. You don't think about how Batman is going to get in and out of it. I love how it had to take left turns by using the arrow and the, the hook. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I take left time. turns actually to this day. So, Hey, didn't Mythbusters like bust that one? Like that does not work. At all? Hey, we gotta check that one out. I could have saved Miss <laughs> an episode. I could have just let him know. I, I'm no physicist, but I could have told you that that wouldn't work. Yeah, uh, they, but a lot of those gadgets worked. A lot of uh, his gadgets and the car, like you know, they might not actually do the thing they're supposed to do, but like the grappling hook, you know, fired, and they had to make it wrap around shit, and I mean, it couldn't hold Michael Keaton, but it, you know, it had to do the thing and the bat, you know, the batarang would like collapse. And then, you know, he'd, he'd like flick his wrist and it would open up. That was all that worked. That stuff actually worked, which is pretty cool. Do you one thing that he, sorry. The one oh, thing do you that I, interesting I had fact to... about this Batmobile. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, they built, they built it on a Chevy Impala. 
Nice. Yeah, nice they choice. built it on a Chevy Impala, and then they fitted it with a Rolls Rolls Royce jet engine. Rolls Royce makes a jet engine. Apparently, I used to work for Rolls Royce. They do. Wow. All right. Cool. That's what Rolls Royce. <laughs> all right. Right. Cooler than I thought. We got the source right here. Wow. wow. Uh, so this podcast just turned into Emily worked at Rolls Royce. Yeah. So all right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. What kind <laughs> of discount you get, Emily? Did they let you drive the Batmobile? They, no, they don't do the cars anymore. They're more like the, the airplane engines. Oh, wow, that's so disappointing. So, Their cars were so nice. You, it kind of is. You you had something for us about the car before we got on the Impala. Well, it wasn't about the car. It was about one of the gadgets. Like, um, it made me laugh because my partner, he's a little bit younger than me. So he wasn't even born by the time this movie had come out. Um, but I made him watch it with me. And the the belt where Batman has Vicky Vale and they go up and he's like, how much do you weigh? <laughs> my boyfriend literally said, well, at least he knows what his equipment can take. Because I thought, ah, nice. like, 108 pounds. I was like, wow, wow. Waka waka. Yeah, that's a that's a great <laughs> example of a joke that was lost on me as a kid because I didn't realize how offensive it is to ask a woman her weight. Yeah. And now yeah. you watch that and, like, the you, you weigh a little more than 108. That's, like, my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> now, you know what? I take that back. My favorite line in this movie, and, there's, and I want to hear all of yours if you've got one, if you remember it well enough. Uh, oh yeah. I love the scenes between Bruce and Alfred. I think these movies needed like way more of that. And I love their dynamic. It's, it's this very like, I mean, Alfred doesn't like forget his composure, but he's busting Bruce's balls constantly. Yeah. And he's got this scene where he's like, Oh, you know, Vicki Vale, she's pretty great. I feel the weight lifted. And Bruce is so frustrated. And he goes, why don't you marry her, Alfred? <laughs> I just love yeah. that like familiarity between them. Cause this movie's pretty bleak and their friendship is like one of the few bright spots. So I really like that bit. Yeah. I mean, we have a business uh, named after Pennyworth uh, for many reasons, we but do. like, that's true. My love for Alfred is so real. And that's, this was like my first like love affair with Alfred is like busting his balls. I remember the pea suit being cold, like the whole thing. It's vision um, sir. It's supposed to be cold. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's just fucking with him the entire time like i don't know what the fuck you're doing down here in this damn cave you know yeah. so it, it's really dope yeah, god god rest his soul michael goff uh alfred one of the only actors to be in all of the like original series i mean he him and uh pat hingle commissioner gordon are like the only reason to think any of these movies are actually connected in any way because they're the only guys that are in all of them yeah. So, uh, there were actually three Batmans in this movie, at least, if not more, but they, they had to have one guy who could like fight like who knew karate. They had one guy who like for, to fall over and do stunts, but they had, they had a ballet dancer, not for like anything fancy, but like walking in this suit was so difficult that they needed someone with that kind of physique to like pull it off. And someone with that kind of like, you know, limberness to them. Uh, cause otherwise this thing was just like, you know, it was just like wearing like 50 pounds of black rubber. It was like a brick. Yeah. Did you guys catch the, uh, the tools that they used for the Joker's surgery? It was the same tools from shop of little horrors. Oh, really? <laughs> it was. Put that together. I would yeah. never have noticed that. <laughs> that was my fun fact. There you go. I'm done. I I, di- I dig that because when I was a kid, that scene scared the shit out of me. And now that I watch it again, I have a different take on it 
before I thought he was like this mad scientist. And now I realize he's this like back alley surgeon and he's terrified because he's like, I, you know, look at my tools. They suck. Well, I, don't, I have one light bulb, you know, like this place is terrible. I just love that guy. He's like, he's like uh, the Dr. Nick of Batman. <laughs> just like a, just like a shoddy doctor doesn't accept insurance, but he'll accept Venmo. That's right. Cash out, cash out. Venmo. Where are you getting these doctors' money bags? The rest of us pay our doctors with cash out. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, so we talked a lot about what's in the movie. I got a couple of fun facts of what's not in the movie. I don't know if you guys heard of some of these deleted scenes. Uh, quick, quick one is that the Joker has this great line where he's like, "I want my face on the one dollar bill," and that was going to pay off at the end because he dumps a million dollars on Gotham, but it was all going to be counterfeit. And if you actually, if you read the comic book based off the movie, they, they actually show this, but all those dollar bills have the Joker's face on it. So that was deleted from the movie. Um, and then this is the big one, right? You talk about dark Knight returns and that's where Batman like rides the horse. And it's this like famous like image. And that was in this movie. So, uh, if you, if you have the, um, the newer releases, they actually have the storyboard, but they were going to do the horse and Robin in the same scene and ultimately cut Robin out of the movie. But Batman was going to chase Joker out of Vicky Vale's apartment. Alfred was going to like pull up alongside him and toss him the costume while he was on horseback. I don't have any, he can barely walk in this thing. I don't know how the fuck he was going to put it on while riding a horse, but he's going to follow the Joker who was going to drive through like an outdoor circus, you know, like how you have in the city, just randomly in the park, you'll have a circus in the middle of the afternoon. Well, there was going to be one of those classic mid afternoon outdoor circuses and they were going to drive right through it. And Joker was going to like throw dynamite and was going to kill the Grayson's. And then Robin was going to like swing and land. It's all, they storyboarded the whole fucking thing out. Like, I, I don't know how far along they got with some of this, but you know, they were, they planned on it anyway. And Robin was going to swing and land on the, the truck and Joker was going to like shoot at him. And then Batman would catch him. And so you would get at least this one scene of Batman and Robin, you know, alongside each other, you know, and presumably, you know, that would have set up a sequel or whatever, but they cut the whole, they cut the whole damn thing out of the movie. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad they did because Eddie Murphy was the front runner to be Robin. And that would have been a very weird scene. Yeah. This movie took a lot of chances with casting and stuff like that. And I really think that's a bridge too far. <laughs> I think like, like Eddie Murphy had just got done, like doing coming to America and then he would have been Robin. Like that would have been, that would have required so much like, like just, just audience creativity transition to just like to, to suspend that you know from your memory he's so old can you imagine like a grown-ass man as robin like that's like you know it's one thing if he like grows into it but fresh off the circus you know what i mean like it's yeah, just like it would have been weird yeah i don't see it i just don't i just don't see it yeah and i know what you're all thinking you're all thinking that i didn't want him as robin because he has a mustache. And that's not true. He could have shaved the mustache. It's his age. That's the problem. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, I've, uh, I've got a few more bloopers here, if anyone's interested. This drove the makeup artist crazy. Because they, the, they had some really cool makeup on, on Nicholson. And they had to take, like, a, they took a life cast of him. And J- Jason and I know now from experience, if you make a prosthetic for an actor... 
off of whatever, then it won't fit their face and it'll look like they've got a big puffy face. And if they'll, you, they'll look like they got stung by a bee, they look like they got stung bees. by a bee. Wow. So to make this work, you like take like a cast of the actual actor's face and they did Nicholson like normal. And they did Nicholson with the biggest smile he could make because they wanted the prosthetics to still be him. And then they like made different versions of it, like six different versions to see, okay, this is more extreme. This is more extreme. And when do we lose Nicholson? At what point do we stop seeing Jack Nicholson? Cause you're like gluing plastic on his face. You're like covering his face. So they went through a lot of trouble with that. And then there's the really complicated shit where he wipes off makeup on top of makeup, which like nobody had any idea how to do. So this is what I meant when I said no one was qualified for this movie. Like they were making this shit up. So they like did the white makeup. Then they covered his face in silicone oil because nothing sticks to silicone. And then they had to like pat on the, uh, uh, the peach makeup and his handkerchief was soaked in alcohol. So then he'd, he'd rub the peach makeup and it would take the silicone and take the peach. And then he'd have the white makeup on underneath. So they go through all that trouble. And then in the first scene he appears, there's a, there's an awful blooper and it was the best performance. So they kept it, but his white makeup had rubbed off onto this purple collar. So they were like, Oh, no problem. Get some purple boot polish which I guess was common on the set of this movie. And we'll just put the boot polish on the coat and that'll cover up the white makeup. But then the boot polish got on his neck. So the first time you see the Joker, he's got this big purple blotch on his neck from the boot polish. So that's a a pretty noticeable blooper in the film. I thought his peach makeup, I thought his peach makeup was like creepier than the white makeup. It was, wasn't it? Cause it was like a, you look like a mannequin. He did. Yeah. You look like a fake person. I like that. It was it was creepy. Yeah. Uh, Joker was he was the right amount of menace in this movie. I think you know. I don't know if you guys is this if this is too much for our, the last quarter of our show. But favorite Joker? Anybody? Anyone want to chime in with this? I'm curious. Oh. I mean, all of mine would be from the comic books. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be no live action. Like, yeah. yeah, no live action. Like I don't think anyone has done it right. Like. I think uh, uh, Ledger's gotten close to it, but it isn't, you know, like we, we talk about it quite a bit. Titans has the best Batman ever. Yeah, you know, like I, yeah. they finally caught Batman the right way with that dude, like how vicious he is. Um, you know, when, when Dick is like, Bruce, they're good people. And he's trying to talk them down, talk everyone off the ledge. Yeah, I do like, like that's that Batman really a lot. Batman. There's no brilliant Joker like that. You know what I mean? Like that, that part where, you know, there's a scene in... Um, uh, Greg Capolo's run where the Joker cuts off his own face and then he Mm. goes back and wants to collect his face from the police precinct where it's in evidence and he scares the shit out of everybody like doing so like just destroying it and he's showing everyone his unmasked face and it's just gruesome like it's just like that that that's how crazy Joker is he's the extreme he's the extreme of that Batman I think people have played with it but it's not it's not there fully yet yeah. Interesting. Emily, you got a favorite Joker? Jared Leto. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I <grew up> You're <laughs> off the show. No, no. I think um, mine right now is still Nicholson because that's kind of what I grew up on. But I do like Ledgers. I think once we go through some of the movies, I might change my mind. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, this question may be to ask after we watch all of them. I think we'll definitely revisit it as, as we go. I just, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, Jason, you got a favorite Joker? I don't know. Should I, 
Should I get ready for the hate mail to come pouring in? Well, we don't have any listeners yet, so maybe not, but uh, you never know. I've, I've gotten my share of hate mail from the Call Classic Horror Show. It's just like two guys who don't like me that just don't shut up. It's just the same two guys. <laughs> but it makes me feel good gonna... to get hate mail. You know, it's nice. I put it right next to my, my fan mail, so, you know. They're putting effort in, so, I mean, it means something. Yeah, you know, I've got, yeah. like, free space, like, rent-free in your brain, you know what I mean? Like, that's all That's all yeah, a narcissist like me wants is your attention. I'm waiting for somebody to send me a carrier pigeon with, like, a nasty message. You'll, you'll get a smoke signals and carrier pigeons. Well, yeah, all right, then what signal. is it? Then I, Now I'm scared. Who's your favorite Joker? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Mark Hamill. For that, he's fucking. That's the safe. No, because it's like it's like a lot of people overlook that. A lot of people don't like it. It's Mark Hamill. Like he he carried that whole anime, the animated series. Yeah, that's that's true. That's more than fair. That is so fair. I mean, he's he's outstanding. He's outstanding. I don't think that's a controversial choice. I think that's a very that's a very popular choice. It's he. I I I say he has the best laugh. He does. Yeah, does have the best. And he and you know what? He he played that role so well as a voice. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he could have transitioned it into a live action role. Yeah. Actually, it's funny you should say that because they did cast him as the trickster on Flash years later. And, you know, first he was in the John Wesley ship Flash and then later on the um, uh, the new Grant Gustin Flash. And he does the Joker voice in live action. And he basically plays the trickster as like a... a sugar-free version of the Joker. And so it was, that was like the closest we got to seeing him. And he, and he did great. He was, he took a, a no, a nothing character like the trickster and made it interesting mostly because he made it the Joker. So, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen that too. And I think he could have pulled it off to your, to your point. Um, this is video circulating about like him in the booth doing the voice of the Joker and his whole body changes when he really? does the character. He just looks like he's a demon at that point too. So, that that also adds into he's a dope ass Joker. I'd like to see that. That actually sounds pretty cool. Um, that's something we'll we'll throw it up on our social media at some point when this episode's live. We'll uh, we'll find that video and we'll share it with you guys because it sounds pretty cool. Um, I guess uh, we're we're coming to the end of our time together. So closing thoughts on the movie. I'd love to hear if now that we've talked about it, if it's jogged anything, if there's a fun fact you didn't get to share or something like that. What do you guys got for me? I like to bring up uh, Nicholson's like one-liners. Like he made up so much stuff. Like what is the Mookie and the the never rub another man's rhubarb or something like that. <laughs> I I've say that a lot. Heard that <laughs> <laughs> I bet he had a lot of fun with this role. I, that's all I have to say. He looked like he was having fun. He did never rub another man's rhubarb. That's great. <laughs> I'm glad someone said, it. and I never knew till I was an adult what I have a I have a mind to make Mookie. Like, what is he? Actually, I'm still not sure what he's talking about. I assume it's sexual, but I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No one's gonna top rhubarb, but Omi, you got any closing thoughts? Any parting wisdom for us? You know that that line. I forgot what it was, but she's like, he's crazy, and he's like, I thought I was a Pisces. I feel like it's so relevant today. <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's like it's it's so it's so random, it's like almost pandering. Like somebody might somebody like peeked their head into like the writer's room and they're just like, Hey, can you can can you do my wife a favor and just put this line in here real quick? <laughs> <laughs> it's random, yeah. man. 
It was sweet. Nah, I mean, this is the precedent, right? Like, this is what popped open. You know, we wouldn't have the Marvel Universe, of course. We wouldn't have any of that stuff. But, like, this was this what popped it open. And I'm very glad that, like, we're, re-vis- we're revisiting it now. You know, yeah. with the new Flash coming up. We give Michael Keaton that shot to to be that character again. I'm really excited. So um, this this movie is like the 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 building blocks to what we see now. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's weird because it wasn't the first superhero blockbuster. Superman the movie was the first yeah. like big blockbuster tentpole superhero movie. And yet then yet there was there was no like flood of action superhero movies after that there was nothing until this movie and then even this like there followed sequels but the 90s were not full of awesome superhero movies it wasn't until like 10 years later that we started getting more so this movie was like it's like the gold standard i think you know it it's really um yeah it truly is yeah it it everyone who worked on it says like oh we did something special and i i think they're right i don't think they're they're bullshitting i think this was like an event Jason, any parting uh, parting thoughts for us? Hey, like the Joker said in uh, in Batman, uh, this this town needs an anima, <laughs> and and film and and superhero movies of that time needed a nice anal cleansing, and Batman was it. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I thought no one was gonna top rhubarb, but you got me, you got me with the anima. Well, um, oh, sorry. That I know, was, I, know uh, uh, I know our listeners can't see, but I was I was distracted by the jumping cats behind Emily's camera. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're counting on you for me. Catwoman, Emily. We're counting on you to show up in costume for for the Catwoman episode, even uh, though we don't do video. Well, I'll try to do that. Yeah, I'll try to do that in between my moving and yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of time. Just you know, whip out the spare <laughs> Catwoman. I'll whip out my Catwoman costume. It's fine. You know. My wife likes it when I wear it. It's fine. <laughs> it's like that Simpsons episode where uh, where Mr. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the principal, Mr. Uh, the what's the principal's name again? Skinner. It's a I Halloween episode, and he's principal wearing Skinner. um oh yeah, he's wearing the he's wearing the Catwoman outfit. And people are making fun of me. He's like, I thought it was Catman. <laughs> nice. Uh, we used to we used to close our parent show called Classic Horror with like a what did you watch segment at the end like what what have you watched this week that's like maybe new or modern that you that you want to share with us uh, what have you guys been watching Emily what you been watching I know you've been busy with the move but um well we try to watch a different movie um, we've been doing anthology movies every Sunday so uh, we watched Stephen King's Cat's Eye. Again, I had to introduce my boyfriend to the 80s movies, so we did that. And then we started, um, well, we finished that Archive 81 TV show on Netflix. How was it? That's based on a podcast, and that that's really good. So mm. I recommend. Cool, cool. Only what you've been watching. You know what? I, I'm one that, like, when I like something, I watch it over and over and over again. So uh, a Mythic Quest has been on my, my joint from uh, Apple TV. Uh, I love when shows do this thing where it presents itself as one thing and turns into another. Uh, Mythic Quest is definitely one of those things where it's hiding in the guise of a, a video game company and all the intricate relationships in, into it as a comedy. And then all of a sudden it turns into this like diehard drama halfway through that's just brilliant. So I'm really excited about that. And I, I'll keep watching that until uh, the end of the end of the month, probably. Cool. Jason? Um, right now I'm in between season two of Euphoria 
and Succession, which oh. are both on HBO. This show is brought the, to you by for HBO the, for Max. The price of, uh, for the wonderful price of $14.99 a month in case HBO wants to sponsor our podcast. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're still waiting on a call back from them. Um, yeah, I've been... Uh, uh, so Jason and I filmed a horror movie last month. And so I'm actually for the first time in my life, like I'm, I'm horror out for a little bit. I've, I've, I've horrored myself out enough. So I need to break from horror. So, uh, I've been watching a lot of comedies. I watched take me home tonight with Topher Grace. I've been trying to watch like eighties, like romantic comedies and stuff. Um, I know that's not from the eighties. It's a period piece, but you know, uh, so that was fun. Um, and then my wife just started game of Thrones. She's never seen it. So we we're, we're rewatching. Well, that, should be, that should be fun. Yeah, you know, it's a fun-filled, you know, lighthearted romp for the whole family. (laughs) Yep. Good. Well, all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back next week with Batman Returns, my personal favorite uh, Batman movie. It's there. Let's do it. All right. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Cult Classic Comic Show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That's what helps us reach new listeners and keep the show going. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Chimeras Comics, or join our Facebook group at Chimeras Comics Community. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.